Hello, everyone. Good to see you. Um, super aware that some of you might not know who I am. I'm, I'm Johnny. Um, thanks, John. Um, I've been part of Emmanuel for about seven years. Um, the first three I spent kind of wading through the sea of mud that is a maths degree. Um, thanks, John. Um, <laughs> Actually, one of the like genuinely biggest sadnesses of my life is that when in my first year, John was in Japan, so he wasn't my lecturer. Um, would have heckled him from the stands, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm also part of the, the staff team here. Keith was just saying, like, oh, I remember when you were an intern and you got asked to do random jobs. That's still my life. Um, just so you can get a little bit of a better feel for, for who I am, um, you'll get everything you need to know from my look-alike, um, Human Shrek. Um, this is Human Shrek from the film Shrek 2. Um, me and Shrek share a lot of different features, um, beauty, humour, um, beautiful wife, uh, fashion sense. Um, you can tell we both go to the gym quite a lot. Um, yeah. So today, uh, we're finishing off our series on the fruits of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit, and we've done them in three batches of three. Now, you might ask, why have we done that? Why have we done three batches of three? I've got a couple answers for you. Um, first one, is it that the elders love their square numbers? <laughs> Second one, I had this answer from a young fan by the name of Mark Talentire, um, a.k.a. Marky T, a.k.a. Sparky Marky. I'm trying to get those to catch on, but no one's doing it except me. Um, he thinks that they're split up into syllables. So the first three, love, joy, peace, one syllable. Second three, patience, kindness, goodness, two syllables, patience, kindness, goodness. And then the third three, the ones we're looking at today, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all have three. Not a bad answer from Sparky Marky. Everyone got that? Um, the real reason that they're split into, into three batches of three um, is laid out really well by John Stott, who says, these final three are all about aspects of self-mastery. Um, so uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all aspects of self-control. So it's kind of no uh, surprise that it ends with self-control itself. Um, so I should change this. Um, so the first three, love, joy, and peace, they're kind of Godward. They look towards God. Um, they're like my love for God, my peace in God, and my joy in God. Second three, they're kind of manward, others would, looking at others, how I might express those to others. And then the final three that we're looking at today are selfward. That's what's there, right, isn't it? Great. Um, the reason I, I think this is how the passage ends. Um, so let's read it. If you turn to um, in your Bibles, if you have them, it's going to be on the screen. Um, there you go. Uh, but Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. Um, Galatians is about maybe four-fifths of the way through your Bible, if you know maths. Um, it's... Uh, a letter written by Paul to the church in Galatia. Um, so I'm just going to read it, um, and then we'll get into it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And you can kind of see how um, that last sentence, those who belong to Jesus, have crucified the flesh 
It's kind of talking about self-mastery, having power over our passions and desires. So we're going to be deep diving into self-control today. Um, it's going to be a fun one. Um, and we're also going to be talking about how gentleness is an aspect of self-control, of self-mastery. And how I'm going to do that um, is that I'm looking to persuade you that these fruits aren't really about how we react to other people. Um, they're actually about our own hearts. Um, it's not, how do I be more kind to this person? Maybe I should learn some, some verbal techniques or breathe better so that I'm not angry. Um, you know, pro tip, if you want to be seen as a really like big Christian, read your Bible in the bath. It really works. Your Bible looks like it's been torn to shreds and you've read it for years. Um, pro tip. Um, no, it's classically with God about the heart. Because we can be tempted when we look at these words to go, oh yeah, yeah, I can, I can be gentle to people for sure. Faithfulness, yeah, if I get married, I probably won't cheat on my wife. Uh, self-control, yeah, shouldn't be eating too many cookies. I actually do need to listen to that last one. Um, you know, Alan keeps telling me, I'm telling people that I'm a growing lad. Like, he thinks that's a term of endearment, but if you really think about it, it's so not. When we um, read that list and go, me, 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 all faithfulness, I find that hard. Okay, kindness, yeah, yeah, me, 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 me. We kind of miss the point. We miss Paul's point. The action of the fruit, actually being faithful, being kind, being gentle, is actually the result of the work of our hearts. And so... Um, self-mastery, self-control is so that our focus isn't actually on ourselves. Um, So, uh, I'm going to change this. Uh, What is self-control? Well, you've got the world's answer and you've got Jesus' answer. The world's answer is that the self needs improving. Uh, The world talks about self-improvement. The world loves to talk about self-improvement or self-care or self-love. Diet, exercise, sleep, Netflix when you're struggling, whatever it is. And you might respond, of course, like eating better pleases God. Um, I'm stewarding the body he gave me. Um, Or, of course, going to the gym pleases God. I feel healthier. I have more energy. Or the kicker, of course, reading my Bible every day pleases God. After all, it is the Bible. It can feel really kind of Christian-y to take care of ourselves, to improve ourselves in the same way that the world um, coaches. So what makes Christian self-improvement any different um, to every other kind of health and wellness regime that the world pumps out? The self being improved suddenly becomes a servant of others. A joyful, loving, patient, faithful, gentle worker for others' joy in Jesus. The call isn't to abandon our resolutions, abandon our personal disciplines or healthy habits of dieting, exercising, sleeping. Um, By all means, pursue them, but just not for your own sake. Self-improvement, self-love kind of feels so exhilarating, so liberating. I'm being me. Um, at least in theory and in Nike adverts, but they can become plasters that we kind of slap on to avoid really, really like deepening our relationship with Jesus. We feel like better Christians, even though we're actually no closer to who Jesus is and Jesus himself, and therefore no closer to addressing actually our hearts and the heart behind how we're feeling, our restlessness. Um, So what's Jesus' answer? If you go running to the Bible looking for some nice verses on uh, 
self-love, self-improvement, you'll be hard-pressed to find any command or, or even license to pursue your own growth and maturity in a way that doesn't directly and immediately affect somebody else. Instead of self-care and self-love, you'll find self-denial. The Christianity we find in Scripture isn't about self-improvement um, or self-love. It's self-abandonment. Jesus says, If anyone wants to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily. And that, really, that smells very, very different to kind of modern self-care. Similarly, Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work. Not that he's tempted to not steal anymore, but so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And that applies to work, like in that passage. It applies to budgeting, working out, eating better, sleeping more or less. I don't really know. Um, And reading the Bible. Watch what you eat to maintain health and energy, to love. Read the Bible so that you love God and others, so that you have something to share in love. Self-control in Jesus' name is always servant-hearted, not self-serving. And a really apt illustration of this um, is gentleness. I can look at that one, can't I? That's a good point. Oh, no. Gentleness. Um, gentleness is, is one, of, one of the three words we're looking at today. Um, so it works well. But which I, I feel it's, it's possibly the most uh, misunderstood one. Uh, fruit. We, we look at gentleness and we go, I guess that's just being nice. Like when I'm mad at someone or someone's mad at me, like I, I can react in, in niceness. Um, we very easily see it as a positive Christian-y spin on weakness. However, gentleness in the Bible isn't allowing yourself to be a doormat. It's emphatically not a lack of strength, but actually the godly exercise of strength, of power. Gentleness doesn't show a kind of lack of ability, but actually an added ability to steward our own strength for the good of those around us. Um, gentleness is the same Greek word as meekness. So we sing that at Christmas quite a lot, like Jesus, meek and mild, um, kind of like, oh, good boy, good dog. Um, <laughs> when, when the Bible uses gentle or meek, it actually assumes power. Like Tina was saying this just now, she was saying that like, the might of God says, I see you. And it's a nice verse here, Isaiah 40, I find this so cool. God will come with power. Now, how does he wield that power? He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom. And here we go, gently lead them. Shepherds have ultimate power over their sheep. But, and the sheep are powerless, but the shepherd is gentle. They wield the power that they have for the good of the sheep. And so um, it's no surprise that gentleness crops up in God's requirements for elders. Elders, you listening? It says... (laughs) It says, elders must be not violent but gentle. That's the exact phrase. Um, An assumption from this is that... Everyone's still laughing. Um... An assumption from this is that elders actually have strength. They have power, especially as they serve together as a team. The question won't be whether they have strength, but whether they know how to use that strength to serve others, not harm them. They must know and have demonstrated how to kind of channel God's gift of strength, of power, to serve others um, 
not harm them, kind of with appropriate restraint and ding, self-control. Something I think our elders do really well. Um, Just want to say that. (laughs) Amongst the jokes. (laughs) Um, A small question I had when preparing this was um, gentleness versus truth. Like we can talk about uh, we seem kind of split on this. Like some people want to be like really gentle and like full of grace, and others are like, oh, we need to tell the truth. Um, are they on opposite sides? Can we speak truth while being gentle? And we as Christians, yeah, we're a bit split on this. So, if gentleness really does mean putting forth the good of someone else, that doesn't mean that I withhold truth. Imagine a doctor who misunderstood gentleness and said, well, in order to put kind of this person's like needs above my own and, and push that good forward, I'm not going to tell them that they have this disease. That would go so full circle that actually it would lose the concept of gentleness, of putting the good of someone else forward. So when it comes to speaking truth to someone, yes, we can learn better um, words to say, better tone. Um, but what matters really is our hearts, our hearts towards them. Um, we can use truth as a baseball bat all day long, smash them around the head, but that's, that's actually not gentleness. If my desires is to win an argument or seem smarter than them, or kind of one we don't mention very often, it feels icky, um, is like desiring to hurt them emotionally, um, that's neither gentle nor actually for their good. And so when we die to our flesh, when we die to our desires to win, um, we can exercise self-control and gentleness. We can offer truth, wanting good for that person. So how is gentleness about self-mastery? Well, because everything in me says I'm number one. The whole world revolves around me. Um, I want everything to center on me and all the ways I kind of think are, are self-first. Um, so when we think about gentleness, we're actually dying to that self. We're dying to ourselves for the good of someone else. It's not about self-fulfillment or self-love but about increasing our capacity to die to ourselves. And that is exactly what our passage says at the bottom. It's there throughout. Um, But let's go deeper, because we can still be super tempted to see this as a kind of case-by-case situation, that in certain certain situations we need to be gentle, we need to be faithful, we need to be self-controlled. But Jesus is still saying, Jesus is still saying, no, I didn't die for your specific exact situations. Sometimes we say, kind of, Jesus has won the victory, but then I've got to die to myself. Like, how can it be that I, like, I don't have to do anything, but then I do have to do something? Great questions. Ask Alan at the end if you want the answers. Um, joking, actually, ask Sandra. She's the real. Um. <laughs> so... Why do we need self-control? Um, bare bones of it is the Bible teaches that we're in chains if we're not with him. We're shackled. If any of you have seen the blockbuster film, potentially the best film of all time, Prince of Egypt, um, or read the book of Exodus, I guess, um, you'll, you'll know the story um, of God delivering his people from the Egyptians. They were in slavery. They were in chains. Um, and it starts with God speaking to Moses saying this, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out of the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I am the Lord. You might be thinking, like, that's weird. You kind of said that already. Is there an echo? Um, What this is, what God's doing here, um, is that he's using a tool called an inclusio. This is a bit of a technical detail. I hope you find it interesting. Um, What it means is that anything between the two, I am the Lord, 
z refers to what I am the Lord is. It refers to who he is as I am the Lord. So in, in between those two I am the Lords is actually reflecting who he is as I am the Lord. So what this gets across is that God isn't just randomly delivering people like left, right and centre. It's actually who he is. God is a deliverer. We were singing it this morning, um, our strong deliverer. It's not just that he did deliver the Israelites just then. It's that he is a deliverer. He is um, he, did, he does deliver us because that's who he is. And you'll see this kind of throughout the Bible, repetitions of certain phrases that tell us who God is and what his character is. But what does this mean for us? I'm kind of bringing Exodus a bit randomly here. What does it mean for us, 21st century? Because we're not slaves to the Egyptians. A fun thing to know about me um, is that I'm a table tennis player. Ping pong to the uneducated. Um, I had a really fun freshers' year. Um, people would kind of like look at me up and down, and they'd go, rugby player, heavy drinker. And I'd be like, never drink alcohol, and I play ping pong. Um, when I was about 11, um, I got really into table tennis, and I was good at it. I was really good at it. It was all I thought about. I'd be in physics class, like writing in one hand and like shadow playing in the other hand. Um, I spent break and lunch, like strolling through the catalogues of like different gear. I wanted to have the latest rubbers, the latest shorts, the latest shoes, the latest everything. Um, I had to look the part because I had to belong in this kind of sphere of life. It was who I was going to be. And then I started entering tournaments and I started beating people. And then I started winning those tournaments. And my national ranking was going up and up and up, 150, top 100, top 50, top 40. But you know what? It was never enough. It was never, ever enough. I'd beat someone. And as soon as I'd beat them, all I'd see was the next person in the next round waiting for me. And then I'd beat them and I'd just look at the next one after that. And what this meant was that the person I'd just beat had no significance to me whatsoever. No significance. It wasn't like success for me wasn't beating them. It was actually beating the next person. I'd win a tournament and all I could see was the, the next tournament, the bigger tournament, the one after. The achievement and success that I craved, I never actually reached because it was always the next match, the next tournament, the next milestone in the rankings. And I want to suggest to you that's bondage. There was no enjoyment to it anymore because I simply had to go harder and harder and harder. And every time I achieved a goal, it meant nothing as soon as I had actually achieved it. A brilliant, healthy thing kind of began to define who I was. And it was a harsh taskmaster. I had, I had no choice but to obey it. I had no self-control. I had to watch four hours of table tennis YouTube every night. I had to ignore my friends and look at the latest gear. I had to beat that person. Jo Johnny, you don't have to. Uh, excuse me. Yes, I do. I just, I just had to. And what the Bible teaches is that, um, is that without Jesus, you will have taskmasters over your life telling you how to live it. Your phones every day will tell you what you should wear, what you should eat what you should say. Your school, your college, your university, your workplace, your, even your social sphere will tell you what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. They'll tell you what's cool and, and what's uncool. And we'll fall for it. We'll fall for it. You'll choose a sport or a career that you think will define you. You can choose the highest ranking thing on the planet if you want. But if you make it who you are in your heart, you'll be in bondage within months. 
my desires and my passions um, weren't to pursue Christ. It was to pursue success, to pursue um, trophies, popularity. The burden was actually really overwhelming because I had to go harder and harder and harder. And if I tried harder, then I'd be successful. If you're an engineer, you get one more degree, you get one more thing under your belt, then you'll be successful. As a, as a sportsman, it's, it's one more medal, one more accolade, then you'll be successful. Maybe it's something as ludicrous as, ludicrous as, as fashion. If I have this label, this brand, this item, then I'll be successful. I cannot believe people fall prey to that mainly because I'm so unfashionable. Was that was that an amen? Did I? <laughs> Except my shorts. My shorts are groovy. Um, but, but let's come back to to God's words. I will bring you out from under the burden, and I will deliver you. And it's it's who I am. It's not just what I do. It's who I am. And that's that's a promise to you. That's a promise to you today. I am a deliverer. He sent his son and, and died for us that we can be released from these exact bonds, these exact bondage. He creates the, the miracle of self-control so that we can act the miracle of self-control. We get a, a taste um, of, of what this self-control kind of is, and it's fierce. Self-control is fierce. There's, there's ferocity in self-control, and we get a taste for that when Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That's the, the fierceness of, of self-control. When I had met Jesus, my, my drive for success didn't actually go away. Um, it just wasn't who I was anymore. I wasn't defined by my wins and my losses. Um, but, but it was hard. I found it very, very hard to just make that switch of, of who I was. And so I made decisions. I chose church over Sunday tournaments. Believe me, that felt like gouging out my eye. Um, but God provided genuinely miraculous Saturday tournaments um, out of nowhere. Um, God spoke to me about Durham. He wanted me in Durham, so I allowed my studies um, to be priority over training. Um, but the Christian message when it comes to self-control isn't just say no. Um, and this is where I'm, I'm going to close um, with the question, how do we have self-control? Um, if the band could come back up, that would be, that'd be great. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us to just say no. I think it has a problem with that word just. We, we say no in a certain way. We say no by faith in the superior power and pleasure of Jesus Christ. I, I think that word pleasure is really interesting. I, I can often think, or we can often think that word's like just a kind of sexual thing, pleasure. But actually, no, when we know Jesus, it's pleasurable. He's so much pleasure in really knowing who he is. And it, it, it's actually just as ruthless to say no by faith in the superior power and pleasure of Jesus. It's, it's just as ruthless and probably just as painful. But the difference between worldly self-control and godly self-control is, is crucial. Who will get the glory for the victory? Will, will we get the glory? Kind of like self-improvement, I'm going to improve myself, or will, or will Christ? If we exercise uh, self-control by faith in Christ's superior power and pleasure, Christ will get the glory. How, how do we strive against our flesh with its passions and desires? Paul answers, it's on the screen. For this I toil, struggling, agonizing. You see the, t- the ferocity, the toughness of it. With all, not, not his own, but his energy. Not my own energy, his energy that he powerfully works within me. He agonizes, he agonizes. He agonizes by the power of Christ, but not his own. 
We must be fierce, yes, but not by our own might, not by our own strength. And how does the, the Spirit produce this, this fruit of self-control? Because it's fruits of the Spirit. How does the Spirit do it? By showing our hearts the superior preciousness of grace and the pleasure of knowing the perfect Christ. So when we really see and believe what, what God is, who he is for us, by his grace through Jesus, the, the power of wrong desires is broken. The wrong desires are still there. They're still there, but the power is gone. Therefore, the, the fight for self-control is a, is a fight of faith. As, as Paul says, fight the good fight of faith and take hold, take hold of the eternal life with which you were called. Um, we're going to pray, I think. Um, so uh, you might want to pray by yourself in your seat. Um, also, you can ask someone sitting next to you for prayer. We're also going to have some ministry team people out if you want prayer. But there's, there's no condemnation here. No one's looking at you if you're coming forward and going, they're in bondage. That's not a thing. That's absolutely not a thing. Um, we're family here. We love each other. And we're all with you. We're all with you. Um, so yeah, that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to pray. Um, band are going to kick off um but get prayer if you want it um and yeah let's do business with jesus father we love you we love you and and we look to you we take our eyes off ourselves, and we we look to you help us father we we acknowledge that there are certain parts of our hearts that are in bondage and um thank you lord that you have taken the power away from it that you died for me you made a way that without you there's nowhere else I could turn but I turn to you Lord we turn to you as a family we turn to you and help us Lord to to be fierce to be fierce to make decisions help us to walk in the way that you've you set out for us by dying for us we love you Lord Amen